Hey, before we get started, I want to remind you that Truce is listener-supported. If you want to be a part of this one-of-a-kind show that asks big questions in an approachable way, become a patron. For just $5 a month, you can help me tell big stories like this upcoming season on the history of fundamentalism. And you'll get access to bonus materials. That's all at patreon.com slash trucepodcast. That's patreon.com slash trucepodcast. Michael Chandler visited Northeastern Ohio in the summer of 1835, which must have been quite a sight to see. Ohio back then was the Wild West, at the cusp of a population boom as families risked life and limb to look for wide open spaces. Cleveland had only 1,075 people living there five years earlier, the biggest city in the region. Kirtland was much smaller. Visitors like this one must have been incredible because Chandler brought with him wonders of Egypt. He'd been touring the country with Egyptian mummies and papyri. They had Egyptian hieroglyphics on them. Foreign squiggles and pictures that must have meant something. The nation's hunger for artifacts was insatiable. Fortune hunters looted the wonders of Egyptian tombs. There was money to be made in artifacts. Michael Chandler made money showcasing wonders of the Egyptian world. He just didn't know what these papyri said. Didn't know if anybody could tell him. He came to Ohio to seek a brilliant young man he'd heard about. A guy who studied languages. Some said he had a special connection with God himself. The young man in question, Joe, said he'd try to translate these documents. He lit his lamps, went to a quiet place, and tried to decipher a lost language. Or at least fake it until he made it. You're listening to the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars, except maybe today. Today, we're going to need to speak a little hard truth in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. I'm Chris Starin, and this is Truth. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. We recently released an episode about the book of Daniel in the Old Testament of the Bible. It has all these prophecies that were fulfilled during the time of Alexander the Great, including one that is so specific that it's enough to give you goosebumps. He will set his face to come with the power of his whole kingdom, bringing with him a proposal of peace, which he will put into effect. He will also give him the daughter of women to ruin it, 
but she will not take a stand for him or be on his side. Daniel 11:17. The prophecy says that the king will propose peace to his enemy by giving his enemy a woman. He'll gift a human being in order to build a bridge, like she's a bouquet of flowers or a fruit basket. His hope is that she'll be working for him, but she eventually turns against him. Which makes sense because who wants to be used as a fruit basket? That's what the Bible predicts hundreds of years before the event. Now, this thing actually happened. The king of the north of Syria and Jerusalem traded his daughter Cleopatra I, hoping that she'd help him topple the king of the south, or Egypt. Cleopatra married Ptolemy V in 197 BC. Ptolemy V married Cleopatra. Now, Ptolemy was worshipped as a god. There was a royal cult at the time with priests and decrees and the whole thing. On the first anniversary of his coronation, when he was just 13 years old, a council of priests in Memphis wrote an inscription on stone, supporting the worship of the king. It was so important that they wrote it down in three languages, hieroglyphs, demonic, the native Egyptian language, and ancient Greek. And they made copies and had them distributed to different temples. Then the world moved on, as it so often does. There were battles to be fought and lands to conquer. A new religion started following a man who claimed to be God, died on a cross, and rose again. Empires fell and the United States was formed, but just barely. Then Napoleon Bonaparte headed south for a little world domination to, guess what, Egypt where a large stone was discovered by soldiers in 1799. They found it while digging a foundation to expand a fort. It was lodged into the wall. Napoleon was defeated, and under the terms of the treaty, the stone became the property of the British. Where people did their darndest to read hieroglyphics. Mankind had forgotten how, but we learned. In September of 1822, a French scholar announced that he'd begun to decipher this language because this tablet that had been found that the British now had had three different languages on it. Three different languages describing the same thing, the worship of Ptolemy V, husband of Cleopatra I, whose marriage was foretold hundreds of years earlier in Daniel 11. A mystery translated when they cracked the code of the Rosetta Stone. Joe, our guy from the beginning, couldn't figure it out. Well, not word for word. He tried and failed to write out an Egyptian alphabet. He'd already deduced that these were writings by the Jewish patriarchs Abraham and Joseph of Technicolor Dreamcoat fame. Somehow. And people had expected that if he could decipher who wrote the document, surely he could tell them what it said. He couldn't do it by direct translation. He relied instead on divine inspiration to translate the document he said was written by Abraham. The Book of Abraham was published in 1842. It includes a creation story. Instead of God created the earth like you might see in Genesis, he said the gods organized the earth. The gods, plural. He said there was a star, Kolob, closest to heaven. 
that Kolob and countless others are populated by spirits, eternal spirits. He'd gotten this idea from a book he'd read and adapted it to fit his own needs, like he'd done a few times before. This was the 1800s, pre-Civil War. People wanted to know, why were there different races? Where did black people come from? Joe said they came from the curse of Ham. That when Noah cursed the line of Ham in the book of Genesis, it showed on their skin, turned them black. Of course, Noah didn't curse Ham in Genesis, but that's what people wanted to believe back then. Some of them, anyway. Some backwards evangelicals and Joe. Joe wrote a letter, which is now in the official church history, volume 2, chapter 30, page 436. He said the position of abolitionists who wanted to set African slaves free had calculated to lay waste the fair states of the South and let loose upon the world a community of people, meaning black people, who might, peradventure, overrun our society, chastity, and virtue. He finished by writing that we have no right to interfere with slaves contrary to the mind and will of their masters. The young man, the racist guy who supported the slaveholders, the guy who said he could read the exact words on the papyri, was Joseph Smith, founder of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormon Church. And Unlike the golden plates, which were supposed to contain the Book of Mormon and then conveniently disappeared, the Egyptian papyri stayed around. Someone was bound to translate them. The Book of Abraham made so many claims, some of them really important to this new faith. The first to translate Joseph's papyri was Theodule de Veria. He published the two different translations next to each other in 1861. Joe's on one side and his on the other. One told the story of Abraham, of the patriarchs, the stars, and the spirits. The other, Theodule's, was an ordinary funeral document. The one Joseph intended to decode wasn't special. It was just a funeral document, like you might find in any ancient tomb. Certainly not a letter from God. The result is that we know that Joseph Smith didn't actually translate the text of that ancient paper. He claimed that he translated the words on the page, but he hadn't. Instead, he wrote down an amalgamation of different stories he'd read in other texts, cobbled them together, and claimed it was the word of God written by Abraham. Here is why history is important because lots of people follow the teachings of Joseph Smith, many of them believing that they are true Christians following orthodox theology. Thanks to Ptolemy, Napoleon Bonaparte, the French, the British, and the Rosetta Stone, we know the truth. That Joseph Smith, well, he didn't unlock God's word written by Abraham. Joseph's real genius wasn't in languages, but in showmanship. He hadn't heard from God. He didn't unlock the mysteries of the traveling Egyptologist. He just made it up, wrote it down, and hoped that nobody would ever learn to read Egyptian.
The Truce Podcast is listener-supported. We're a few thousand dollars out of pocket so far on this project. If you'd like to keep this thing going, you can set up monthly payments on Patreon.com or a one-time gift on GoFundMe. You can also email me for the shipping address if you'd like to send a good old-fashioned check. Hit us up on social media and tell us what you think about the show. Thanks to Bob Stevenson for loaning his awesome voice to the Bible readings today, which were from the New American Standard. The catalyst for this story was Fawn Brody's book, No Man Knows My History, which is so good that my brother usually keeps several copies on hand just to give out. I've got pictures of the Rosetta Stone posted on our website. It now lives in the British Museum. Go and see it. Right now, at the end of this year, I am thankful for you, for your prayers and words of encouragement. Thanks for listening to the show, for sharing it, and for your prayers. God bless you and your family. I'm Chris Steren, and this is Truce.